Welcome to another edition of Living by Faith with Trillia Nouvelle. I'm so honored that you would join us today. As always, we are going to dive into topics that will encourage you on your faith journey. Today, I'm especially excited because we are going to be thinking about faith and the promises of God. Now, here's the thing. There's not much that I am sure of. I don't know what my children will be when they grow up. I can't tell you how long I'll get to enjoy this time with my husband. I assume I know where I'll live over the next five years, but that could change. I don't even know what I'll be cooking tonight. I'm just not sure of a lot of things. There's a great deal of unknowns in this life. Maybe that's why faith is called a gift in Ephesians 2. Listen to 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Isn't that good news? That's such good news. For by grace you have been saved through faith. In the context of Ephesians, faith is a gift because you and I can't earn our salvation. God grants faith to us. It's a free gift of God's grace. But I also believe faith is a gift because it's something that gives assurance. And if you are assured of something, you are confident. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in our hope. And in the context of Hebrews 11, our hope is in the promises of God. It is sure, a firm foundation. Now, it's important for us to understand this faith in the promises of God because none of the people in the Old Testament would have seen even what we have seen. These men and women had a conviction in the things not seen. And think about it. None of them had even experienced the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It was all promised. These are the things that you and I know. We know about it because we've opened our Bibles. We know about it because we've heard they've come to pass. Faith then isn't something that's abstract or fluffy. Faith is grounded in assurance and conviction in the Lord and his word. It rests in all the all of his promises for today, tomorrow, and forevermore. So we have to ask God to believe. We have to ask God for faith to believe this to be true. And today, my guest will help us understand and grow in our faith as we look at the covenants and promises of God. So Courtney Reisig, I'm so excited she's here. She is a writer, a Bible teacher. She lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. She is the author of numerous books and Bible studies, including Teach Me to Feel, Worshiping Through the Psalms in Every Season of Life, and Promises Kept, a six-week Bible study on the Old Testament covenants. Courtney and her husband are the proud parents of four beautiful children. They're these boys that are spunky and wonderful. And together they serve at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, where she is also the discipleship content director. Courtney, thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. And we're going to just jump right in. Why did you choose to write a study about God's covenants? Well, I have always gravitated towards the Old Testament. I love the Old Testament. And when I was a new believer, I started, I just really, I think I was drawn towards narrative. I have a bachelor's degree in English. And so I was just drawn towards narrative in the Old Testament. And I 
was in seminary for when I first understood for the first time that the whole Bible is one big story. Uh, I think a lot of people, if they've come to understand how the Bible is one big story about one big God, they always remember kind of where they were and they're like, why has no one ever told me this? It's one big mm. story. And so um, I have just been drawn to that ever since of having, of helping people to see how it fits together and how the pieces fit together and how it's moving the story forward. And so um, as I thought about, um, and so I, I care about that, but then I also care about biblical literacy. I care about um, people in the church knowing how to study their Bibles for themselves and having um, tools and to be active learners, to be able to, to, to find out and discover these things on their own. And so I took those two loves and put them together into a Bible study um, on the Old Testament covenant. And so one of the ways that the Bible um, moves, uh, God moves the story of the Old Testament forward is through those covenants. Um, and God is slow and he, and he reveals his purposes through each covenant and then they all build on each other. And, and so that was kind of why I, I was marrying these two loves that I have for the Old Testament and love that I have for um, biblical literacy. Story. Yeah. And biblical literacy. So I have a question about researching and preparing because you mentioned that you are in seminary and obviously so many of our listeners are likely not in that kind of uh formal teaching. We're all just opening our Bibles. So how would you encourage or how did you go about researching and preparing to to write this? Yeah. So um, another real passion of mine is for those people who want to grow and love the word, um, but they maybe can't go to seminary or don't have the, the resources or time or a number of reasons. Um, and so I, um, in order to research, I I, a couple of ways I kind of researched is one, I read, read the, the biblical text. And so I read it over and over and over again. Um, and then from there, I took all my questions and found um, resources. So I, um, I went to, so syllabus in my classes, my seminary class. So one of my seminary professors, Peter Gentry, Dr. Gentry, he wrote a, this is where I first also kind of understood the covenants and how they work together is because my Old Testament one class that I took in seminary, he taught through how the covenants move the story forward. And so then he wrote a textbook probably, I don't remember how many years ago, but maybe five or six years ago, he wrote a textbook with Stephen Wellam, Dr. Wellam, um, called Kingdom Through Covenant. And so that was the first place I went is I knew that, um, and what they kind of did is this kind of gets into the granular, but they took a um, non-Presbyterian view of how the covenants work together and, um, and so they wrote that. They also have a, a layperson version as well, so a shorter version of it. And I, um, it's got the same words in it, but it's slightly different. So I went there. And so then when I research, whenever I research and I read books like that, I look at the footnotes and I look, who are they citing? And then I go and, and get more books from there. And so another book I read was The God Who Is There by D.A. Carson. And that might be my favorite popular liberal book on the, the whole story of Scripture and how it fits together. Um, mm -hmm. But so I have one big book, that Wellam Gentry book, and then I use the footnotes to kind of help um, guide from there. So you would say, hey, if you're interested in learning about the covenants, one, use my study, <laughs> but also you can grab help. You can get help from other people and other resources and other books. And that's maybe one way to help people learn and, and understand the scriptures. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. And so one thing too, so this is also um, relevant to right now. So I'm helping our church kind of work on some story of scripture curriculum. And 
I have been thinking like, how do I help our, our teachers, our Sunday school teachers um, who are lay people and don't have a ton of time? How do I help them like equip themselves in, in content? Um, they're not going to go to seminary. So the gospel coalition actually has put out two courses that are kind of on the story of scripture. And so, um, and then they have within those lectures and, and teaching notes, they also have um, a number of resources that they have recommended at the end of those courses. And so those are just for free. You can go and, I mean, you can even look the Gospel Coalition, Story of Scripture, and you'll find those two courses. One, I think, is from Jason DeRoshi, and the other is from Vaughn Roberts. I love that there are so many free resources available that we can run to and really dive into. And I want to change our topic just slightly and talk about covenants themselves, because that's kind of where we're we're going to dive into and stick for a while. We don't deal with covenants a lot today, but what is the significance of the promises and covenants in the Bible? And why don't you think we talk about it much today? I think the primary reason why we don't talk about it as much today is because you're right. We don't deal in covenants today. And we deal like we have marriage covenant um, where we talk about like it's a covenant of marriage, but even our marriage covenants are not a good depiction of what a covenant is because so many of our marriages, like our divorce rate is like 50%. So it's not a good uh, picture of what a covenant could or should be. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why we don't, we don't understand them. The other is um, distance of just time. It's been a long time since these were written. And, And what I find so fascinating about the old Testament covenants is that they were written they, they were um, established in a time period where that was the normative practice of that time period. So it's not uncommon if you look at historical um, artifacts of that time period where um, the covenants were made between gods and their people and were made between people and people. And so that was, that was the practice of the day. And so God was using the practice of the day to establish his purposes with his people to give them a language to understand how he was working. That would have been completely understandable to them of what a covenant meant. And Mm. so we struggle with it because we're just so far removed. Um, Another aspect of the covenants that I think are so important though, is the, a covenant is different than a contract. So we deal in contracts where both parties have binding agreements and both parties can get out of that binding agreement and both parties have reasons of how they can get out of those binding agreements. But a covenant in the biblical sense is an an agreement where one party takes the fault for the other party. And so when we look at, and and I, we, we've been talking about this with my boys, my boys are young and that's even a concept that they understand is when we, um, and you look at the covenant with Abraham and, and Abraham has to, has to cut the animal into God is the one who walks through that walks between those animals um, for Abraham. And it's a sign to Abraham that, that I'm, I'm the means by which this is going to happen. And that happens repeatedly all throughout the covenants. And so they're so important for us to understand because it helps us understand the character of God. We need to know who God is and how he operates with his people. And he's the one who always assumes the risk because he's that good to his people. Um, and his people are so wayward and in desperate need of, of him to come and act in their favor. Mm. So name one characteristic of God that you think it helps us understand. Um, I think, oh, so hard. Uh, I think the biggest (laughs) one, maybe the one that's probably been um, instilled in me the most over the last probably year or so as I've been studying this is how long suffering he is. Um, Mm. He's so the cup, even in watching how the covenants unfold, 
in the Old Testament story, this happened over a period of thousands of years. And in every instance, his people don't meet their end of the bargain. Like they don't, they fail to measure up. Abraham wasn't good enough. And the people of Israel were not good enough. And David wasn't good enough. And no one was able to meet their end of the bargain. And yet God continues to make covenants with his wayward people because he's so long suffering and he's slow to anger Mm. and he's abounding in steadfast love. And his desire is to redeem and restore his creation. And so he moves slowly, um, not willing that any should perish, um, but Mm. that all would come to faith. That is so encouraging. And when we get back, I want us to continue that conversation about the long suffering God. talking with Courtney Reisig, author of Promises Kept, and I am really excited to talk to you about our long-suffering God. I I just, I feel like I've experienced it in my own life just as I've walked through various things and how patient and kind the Lord has been to me. But in the context of faith, His character, the, the covenant, how do we see it played out? Is there a certain story that you could reflect on or anything that where you've really seen it highlighted? Um, in the Old Testament? Yes. Or, yeah. 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 Um, I think the, I think the biggest one where we see his character played out and his long suffering is in just the nation of Israel. They, and, and they, because there's multiple covenants that are given to them. So they're given the covenant, uh, the Mosaic covenant um, and and the stipulations of this law that they're meant to keep. Um, And they, they do not meet their, they do not obey. And what I find so striking in the, in the book of Deuteronomy where Moses is going over the law again, they're about to enter the promised land and they're like, we're going to do it. We're going to obey. And Moses is like, you're not going to do it. You're not going to keep, you're not going to obey the law. And they don't. And so, um, and then you see they ask for a king and they're given, they're given um, David and then they, then they're taken into exile for their disobedience and they're brought back in and they're given the new covenant, the promise that God is going to redeem and restore. And that is the hope of that is that God should have done, done them in. He should have, yeah. he should have just destroyed them. They should have been destroyed for their disobedience over and over and over again. And yet he continues to come to them. And, and what's so beautiful in the new covenant um and then when Jesus comes on the scene in, in the Gospels is that it's it's even more beautiful in the fact that he doesn't just send a redeemer, he sends himself. Um, he comes himself to redeem his people and he comes in the flesh and he, and he takes on all the risk and all the, all the pain and all the suffering in order to bring his people back. And that's so, that's so striking to me because that is just not how I operate with people. Um, no. I was, even just reading in Romans um, five this morning and how um, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I, um, I don't, I don't like to do things for people who are mean to me, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I don't, I don't even like to think, do things for my kids when they're mean to me. I mean, yeah. that's like, we're at, we're at the stage of parenting where like they talk back a lot. And so yeah. it's, it, I don't, my heart disposition is to reject people who are, who are against me and God's heart disposition is to run after people who reject him. And that I think is 
just what stands out to me the most in, in the Old Testament story, but then also in my story, um, because I am so not like God. Uh, yes. Amen. Same. Um, and it really reminds me of what you said earlier, that a covenant is really seen as one party who takes the fault of another. I just don't, I don't do that. I don't think to take the fault of another. I will, I I, I don't blame other people, but I'm, it's, I'm not quick to carry the faults when I'm not guilty. But that's what we see in the gospel. And I, w- I would love to hear if there's a, a place where you've seen in the scriptures, in the Old Testament in, in particular, where God took the fault of um, another person or, or, or a group of people. Or yeah, I, I, I just find that a, a fascinating way to, to think of a covenant. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I, I think is you see glimpses of this with Abraham and, and Isaac when he goes to sacrifice Isaac and the ram. And um, one, one part of the story, so they're going up um, the mountain and, and Isaac just asks him, his father, where, where's the ram? Like, where's, how are we going to do a sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide a sacrifice for himself. Um, and that he trusts his faith is that God is going to going to deal with this here and assume the risk here. Um, but I think when you see how he assumes the risk with, with his wayward people is countless times um, when God is going to destroy Israel um, and say, um, he, even with Moses, when they're in the wilderness, he's like, I'm just going to wipe them out. But they, they have just, he tells Moses and Moses advocates for them and stands in their place and God relents of his wrath. But what, for God to relent of his wrath and to wait mm. to punish sin um, is him assuming risk because someone could come and, and, and make the charge against him. Well, you're not holy then because you're holy. You would deal with these people for their rebellion. Yeah. And yet he, he delays in countless ways in order to get more glory for himself and to, to be his, for the redemption to be that much sweeter. But even in his delaying of punishing and dealing with sin uh, and that future, future nature of it, because Christ is the one who deals with sin. Ultimately he assumes risk by waiting and Mm. it looks like he's not winning. And I think in the, in, our current day, like modern day, there's so much injustice in the world. And how many times do we pray and ask God to come and make things right? And it looks like he's losing. And so we want him to act. We want him to do something. We want him to act now. And we don't understand why he's delaying. And yet he delays. And in his delaying, it looks like he's losing, but he's really winning. And so when he, when he finally acts, he gets all the glory and we understand why. But I think you know, it makes the delaying. Go ahead. Sorry. No, you can, you finish your thought. I, I just, it makes me think of a scripture. And so finish your thought and I'll, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> I was just gonna say, even in the delaying, the misunderstanding of how his character is playing out is hard for people. And it can, it can make people accuse God of not, not being good or not being holy or not being just or any of those things. Yeah. It makes me think of this text and the scripture and I'm not, I cannot remember which one it is specifically, but God delays so that more would be saved. And he, I, I, I can't remember that text, but that's what, as you were talking and I, thinking about the New Testament, as he's 
waiting, because we're all saying, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come, because it is. You're right. Um, it looks like it. it for me, it doesn't look like he's losing. Um, and I think that's likely because I just know the end. I know the hope we have. I, I don't know. But but I do know that there are so many people who act like he's losing. And and that kind of, I, I do wonder if it stems from unbelief. And so we need to ask God to help us believe that he has a plan, that he is not um, waiting idly by, that he's not wringing his hands, <laughs> that he is faithful and just and sovereign and good. And he has he has a plan, ultimately the plan of redemption, but also he, he is He's working in the world today. And so that's as you were talking, I was thinking, yes, it, it is something that we're wrestling with and we're struggling with. And we are, we're trying to make sense of the world. But um, but but God is he's mighty and and he's long suffering and he wants people to be saved. And so I'm so grateful for that delay, even though there's so much of me that longs for him to come and just redeem it, end it all <laughs> so that we can um, see him and, and be at peace, ultimate peace. Um, so here's the thing where I have been working through the Bible in a year and I have a book called 52 Weeks in the Word and um, and have been reading through the scriptures in a year and I have a confession. Here's my confession. I I can't remember if it's first chronicle if it's chronicles or where it was. There was somewhere where I just felt kind of like I was going to start beating my head up against the wall. Mm -hmm. like, oh. It probably was chronicles. <laughs> it probably was probably second chronicles because there's a lot of lists in second chronicles. A lot of lists, a lot of lists. And I am actually an advocate for reading those lists. I think they're important. I I believe genealogies are important, but. I just I, I I remember just thinking, okay, Lord, <laughs> I need some help getting through this. And I imagine that people who, because most of our reference today has been about the Old Testament. In order for you to really understand and know God's covenant and what he what we're talking about, you've got to dive into the Old Testament. It's important. It's good. We need to read the Old Testament. So, what would you say to someone who said? The Old Testament is boring. I prefer to spend my time reading about Jesus. Thank you very much. What do you say to them? Yeah, I get this question a lot. So I would say that um, you, you cannot understand the New Testament if you don't understand yes. the Old. And so you can love the, Old Test the New Testament more. I mean, it's okay to have preferences, <laughs> but you will have a deficient understanding of God's purposes if you do not have a grasp of what's happening in the Old Testament. I mean, even just Romans. Rome, oh, yeah. You have to understand what happened in the fall. You have to understand what Adam's purposes were. You have to understand the law and its purposes and how it works. You have to understand Abraham. You have to understand all of these things um, in order to understand what Paul's talking about. And all of the New Testament uh, audience, the original audience, their only Bible was the Old Testament. And so the reason why you have to have the Old Testament is because everyone who, the, who was originally these books were written to you, the Gospels and the, the Epistles, they were written to, to a people who had an understanding and knowledge of everything that was being talked about. And so it would have triggered in their mind how it was all fulfilled. But 
I mean, even like Hebrews, like you, yep. Hebrew, you, you won't under, you won't understand why Jesus is better. You don't understand everything that was built upon. And so I think that, and I think sometimes we struggle because we don't see the Bible as one big story. And, and I think also having to say like that the Bible, am I treating the Bible as something that I go to every day for a pick me up to help me feel better about my day or something I want a quick truth to understand? Or do I see the Bible as this one as, as playing the long game in my life? And that as I'm reading the scriptures, as I'm taking it in every day, I'm making deposits that over time, if I make those deposits, that I'm going to have a full bank account that will never be overdrawn. And the, the deposits of reading first and second Chronicles will, will come back and, and have, and you'll get dividends off of that, but you don't know when you're going to get those, but you have to do the work of pouring in the scriptures day in, day out, every part of the scriptures to see how it, how it plays. Cause the Bible is a living book and it's an active yeah. book and it, and it's not, it's not like reading a novel from the, from the library. It's, it's a book that every has layers and every time you read it, there's something new because the Holy spirit is always working through the word. And so, and I would say too, like for someone like on a real practical level, for someone who is reading the old Testament and is like, look, this is just a real struggle for me. I would say maybe even as you're reading, just write down, ask God to teach you one thing about himself today, one observation, and just write it down. Maybe even try to like journal about it or like pray through it or whatever. Just try to figure out one thing you can learn about God. And and, and it's a discipline. Yes, amen. It is a discipline. I have seen the Lord do such good work in my heart through this discipline. And so when we get back, we'll talk about this a little bit more and a little bit about how to study the Bible. You are listening to Living by Faith with Trillia Newbell. And today we have been talking about covenants and promises and the long-suffering God and thinking through the Old Testament and how it all kind of fits together. And that's something that I want us to think through. I love reading God's word, but every now and then I find myself stuck. (laughs) And so when I'm stuck, I ask the Lord for help and faith to keep reading because I do know that God uses his words. He helps me through life and how to walk and to know him better. And really, if we want to understand the New Testament, if we want to understand what Jesus is saying. He quotes the Old Testament so much. If we need if we want to understand that plus of course the epistles and the writings of Paul, we need to dig into the Old Testament. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. And so as we're thinking about reading and digging into the Old Testament, I have a guest here Courtney Rysick who's helping us think through these things. And I want us to think about the challenges of understanding um, the Old Testament covenants and how people are going to navigate really what applies to their life and what does not. Because I do think that sometimes when we read the Old Testament, it's hard to discern, okay, this actually applies to just Israel, or this just applies to me, um, or where it applies. So is there a way or any kind of practice that you have implemented as you're reading God's word, Courtney? Yeah, I think 
we can get in trouble if we take promises in scripture out of context or not understanding what the purpose of that promise was because, and, and take those as our own promises um, to just us specifically. So I think it's really important to understand uh, the context. So in any of the Old Testament covenants, and I'll take, uh, let's say take, let's do the Davidic covenant, for example. I think that this is the one that um, maybe in our modern context, we struggle with a lot um, with like taking the promise for ourselves and not understanding how it works. So in, in the Davidic covenant, God um, tells David that you will never fail to have a king on the throne and a son um, a, a, from your line on the throne. And so this is establishing a kingdom and establishing a king. And God carries that forward and it's fulfilled in Christ. Christ is called repeatedly the son of David in the New Testament. And then all throughout the, the Psalms in particular have Davidic Psalms where the, the psalm is speaking about this king and, and, and his, and even Psalm 2 talks about this king who will have, um, have a reign. And so sometimes in our modern context, we can say, well, um, if my king is on the throne, so my president, my leader, whoever I want, um, and, and we, can, we can apply that to, that, to the, our leader, whether it's in America or in Great Britain or anywhere else, and say that my guy's in power and I'm going to use these application points of this is, this is who I can pray these things for him. And we should 100% pray for our leaders. But our leaders are not appointed by God in this. They're appointed by God because God's in control of all things. But they don't have the promises of the Davidic covenant. And because we have one king and his name is Jesus and he is ruling and reigning. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that, that we have to understand what was the purpose. So the, if, if we see that these covenants and, and God's promises find their fulfillment in Christ, then in every instance, we're looking to Christ and how he fulfilled that. And so he, he has an already, but not yet kingdom. And so we are not living in the kingdom that has no end. We're living in a kingdom that actually is going to end and God's going to come and make all things new. So there is some, there's some disconnect right now of how things play out in the world that we live in, because we are living in a world that is longing to be made new and understanding that, that there's some, not yet promises that have not yet been fulfilled, even though there's a partial fulfillment in that crisis has come and he's fulfilled the law and he's fulfilled the requirements of the law and he's fulfilled. He's the new covenant and all of those things, but understanding that context and that crisis, the fulfillment of those promises helps us from, from claiming promises as, as ours. Now we are united to Christ by faith. And because of that, all of those promises are ours too, but they're not individual promises or corporate promises. And so I don't have assurance that everything's going to work out for me. Uh, I don't have assurance that, that I don't have an assurance that I'm going to live in a perfect kingdom. Um, but I do have an assurance that one day I will, and I can trust in that. Yes. It makes me think of, we do also have the promise that all things will work together for the good of those who love him. So we can trust that not that we are going to get all good, good worldly things. I think often we take that and think, oh, okay, I'm going to get a new home or a new car, (laughs) but, but that we're going to get him and that we can trust that one day we will see him face to face. Nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can trust in that. And that is a good thing for us, which makes me wonder what is some real practical? I want us to get practical. So people are listening and they're thinking, 
okay, how does this actually relate to my life? How can, how can, how can we apply it? We know how we can't, but how can we? Yes. So, um, I talked about the Davidic covenant and that we can, we can live under imperfect Kings and trust. Um, the, when we look at the Mosaic covenant, so how many of us, uh, find ourselves falling short of keeping God's law um, or just obeying when you, when, when you fail to speak kindly to your, your spouse, or you are harsh with your kids, or you have a lustful thought, or you lack self-control and you drink or eat too much. um, In all of those instances, we can despair um, over our sin and we should confess our sin. We should repent of our sin putting our lives up against the law is always going to show us the reality of who we are is that we cannot keep God's requirements. We, no matter how hard we try. Um, but at the same time we have, um, I love how when, when John the Baptist sees Christ, um, in John chapter two, and he says, behold, the lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Like he sees him and there's this longing and expectancy of, um, I need a perfect lamb. I need a substitute. I need someone to stand in my place because I can't take my sin away. And I, everyone is different in kind of how they respond to their own sinfulness. Some of us maybe need to, re- to think about our sin more um, and, and be quick to repent and maybe aren't, aren't very mindful of our sin. And then some of us think about it too much and are despairing and um, need to understand that Christ has paid for that sin. And so no matter where you fall on that spectrum, um, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. And we we don't live under the Mosaic Covenant where we are constantly trying to meet those demands. But I think that there is so much in, I think in like maybe in male circles with men, I, I don't, I deal in primary female circles where there, but with women, there's such a a, a temptation to say, if I meet these requirements that I'm a good wife or I'm a good mom mm. or I'm a good church member. And those are all external requirements. Um, and even that is trying to keep a law, a human law, um, to, to say, if I can just do all these things, then God will accept me. And, 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 and the, the Bible tells us that we, we've already been accepted. Um, we don't, there's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do to bring enough to the table that says, because we're actually more sinful, not less than we realize. And Christ has paid for all of that. And that's the hope. And that for the despairing person who is like, if I just could do more, then maybe he'll accept me. Um, to rest in the fact that he's already done it all. And he holds it out freely for us and says, just trust me, believe that my, my, my grace and my, my payment is sufficient for you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we place our faith and trust in his finished work, we can rest in that assurance. That's what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> yes, and that- it's one of my favorite verses. It's just no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just, sometimes you have to repeat that to yourself over and over again. You do. And, you know, Paul does. He repeats it twice in that in Romans 8. And I think it's because we forget we are leaky vessels. We forget um, that we cannot earn uh, God's favor, that our God's favor has been given to us freely by his grace. And so we can rest. We can confess our sin. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to purify us. Oh, what good news. And speaking of good news, we're going to have some more when we come back. 
I'm Trillia Newbell, and you're listening to Living by Faith. We are talking about covenants, promises, no condemnation, just a lot of good, good, rich truth from God's word and to help us walk out our faith, to fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can walk in faith, so that we can rest in him, and so that we can be reminded of the gospel. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Anytime we take our eyes off of him, we're going to stray. We're going to go the wrong way. And so I need that reminder. I'm so sure that you need that reminder. And I know our guest, Courtney, needs that reminder. And Always. Yes. Because <laughs> we're going to go everywhere. And that's one of the questions I want to ask you. Is there a covenant that was more personal to you in your study process? Oh, that's a great question. I... I have been really struck by the covenant with Abraham, I think, because we've been, so I oversee curriculum at our church for all of our adult uh, Sunday school groups. And so we've been in Romans. And so I've been, I spent a lot of time in Romans this last year working on curriculum and then hearing it preached from our pastor. And then, so Abraham comes up a lot. And what has struck me about Abraham is that he died with, with one son. He died with no, he, he died, he got, his promise was that you will be as yep. numerous as the star, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the heavens and that you will have land. So his, the two parts of his covenant were land and descendants. And he died with none of them. Like he, he, he had a plot of land that he knew was his and he had one son. And yet he's, he's praised for his faith. Yes. Um, and that, I mean, when I look at my life in comparison to his and how much more I understand about God's purposes compared to what Abraham understood and how I live on this side of the new covenant where I see the full story and how it all worked out together. And I also see that I live in modern times where I live in have air conditioning and all these things that I have and how much I don't trust like the Lord in the ways mm -hmm. that Abraham did. And it's just been really striking to me of how he was not a per he was not perfect. He failed so many times and he did so many things that showed his lack of faith. But yet in the end, he, he died in faith. He died believing that God was going to do what he said he would do. And how much more can I live knowing that God is going to do what he says he's going to do, even if I don't always see it or see how it's going to play out. I, I can trust him. He has kept every single one of his promises to his people and he will continue to do that. Amen. You know, I want to encourage people to read Hebrews 11. I did a Bible study on Hebrews 11, and I love that chapter and just diving into the old. It will also be kind of an easy way to get into the Old Testament and read the whole context and read the stories. But Man, it is amazing, the faith that they had. And at the start of this program, I talked about faith is confidence in our hope. And in the context of Hebrews 11, our hope is in the promises of God. And so that's exactly what you were just saying. I think it's it's amazing to me to think that these men and women, they didn't see anything that we've seen, and they had such faith and such hope. And another thing about Hebrews 11 that I love is that— <laughs> And, and you mentioned this as well. They were not perfect. Even their faith no. wasn't perfect. <laughs> mm -hmm. They Some of them doubted. And yet the Lord saw them as faithful and, and we get to emulate their faith. I just, I think that's a lot 
um, it's really encouraging to me as I walk out my faith unperfectly and I'm imperfectly and I'm not um, always, I don't always believe. And you can, if, if you're wondering, you know, do I actually struggle with believing? I, I think I believe. Ask yourself where you run to when things get hard. That to me is is a good sign for me. Okay, I'm putting my hope in a friend or I'm mm. putting my hope in a, a escape. I'm, I'm watching Netflix, so trying to escape. Or I'm putting my hope even in the, the, the internet, trying to search for, okay, what what is this pain that I feel? And rather than running to the Lord, reminding myself of what is of what he who he is and what he says in his word, and then prayer. These are the things that are are kind of uh, signs for me that I'm running to other things and I'm not I'm struggling with my faith. And I ask the Lord, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe you, so that I might truly put my faith in you. But it's hard. It's a wrestling match. We're constantly reminding ourselves of this truth. And so I, I just am really grateful for um, for that and for that word that you just said. So how can a deeper understanding transform the way that we live and relate to God and others? Understanding of his covenant specifically. Yeah, I think that couple of things. One is I think it can make us more patient with people. He's, he's slow and how he, he works with people and he, and he gives people a long time of, and he's long suffering and he waits uh, and he doesn't deal with people in the ways that they deserve and how um, that's just not how I operate. I'm, I'm just do not operate that way. I'm like, you did not do what I asked you to do, or you didn't do what I think you should do. And you're dead to me. And so I think that, that can <laughs> That's help. Strong, kind of, Courtney. No, it is, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it can be, it's, but in my heart, you know, I can think there's no hope for that person. Yes. You know? And, and instead that, that in God's heart, there's a lot of hope for people. And he, he, he really does play the long game in the lives of his people. So I think that there's that, I think also seeing, um, of how we, how we love other people and care for them. Um, in their doubting, like you're talking about, like if you of doubting his promises and where do you run? Um, I think understanding how God's worked in the covenants helps us see um, that, yeah, that he's just patient with his people. Uh, I think that's yeah. just the bit that's just been the prevailing thing that has come up in my heart as I've studied these um, covenants. And, and it's funny, like probably a year or two ago, that wasn't the thing that came up. But in the last six months, as I've kind of restudy them in order to prepare for the launch of the study. I've just been struck so much by his patience and, and then struck by how much I need the same patience with, with people in my own life, my children, my husband, my friends, the people I serve at our church. Um, we, we need patience. Um, and, and we're, we're not God, so we're not gonna be perfect, but that's just, just struck me a lot. We do need patience, and I am glad that God was patient with me. I heard the gospel at the age of 19, but I didn't submit my life to the Lord until the age of 22. And the Lord was long-suffering and so patient with me as I 
wrestled with sin and dealt with confusion and doubt. He was so patient. And that kind of brings me to our last time, little bit here, Courtney. In a world that seems filled with and focused on bad news, we ought to take every chance we get to hear some good news. The Bible tells us to think on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. In light of the conversation about the promises of God, I'd love for us to hear the ultimate good news. Courtney, would you share the good news, the gospel? That's the ultimate good news is the gospel. Would you share it with us? Tell us what is the gospel and encourage our hearts today. Yeah, so the gospel, um, this is not original to me. I I believe Greg Gilbert says this in his book called What is the Gospel? Where he says the gospel is um, these four components of God, man, Christ's response. Um, and so the gospel begins with God. God is a is is the creator of all things, and He's perfect, and He's holy, and He's righteous, um, and He's good and loving. And out of that goodness and, and love, He created the world, and He created humanity. He created man. He created us, male and female. And so we we are created in His image, and we are created to glorify Him. But but we but we fell into sin, and so our um, identity is rooted in our image bearing, but then we also have a fallen sin nature because Adam and Eve ate, ate the fruit and plunged us into rebellion. And so understanding who we are as sinners makes sense of the brokenness of the world because sin leads to brokenness. And so we all are living out that brokenness, whether it's broken relationships and the consequences of our sin. And but the reality is that that we we can't get right with God. God created us to be in fellowship with Him, but we broke that fellowship in our sin, and we can't get back into right relationship with Him. And we all are living with this hole, this void of brokenness in our lives, and Christ has come to make a way for us. Um, he came um, and died, and by responding to Him in faith and trusting Him as the only way for salvation, we have hope. Amen. I'd like to thank my guest, Courtney Reisig. Thank you for joining me today and for that encouraging last word. Also, thanks to the behind the scenes team at Moody Radio, my producer, Karen Hendren, and my engineer, Courtney Young. To hear today's program again, you'll find it at livingbyfaith.org or on the Moody Radio app. You may also connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Living by Faith. Living by Faith is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.